Okay, hi there. Um, this is Vanessa Pottle recording uh, her 2001 nursing uh, portfolio podcast. Uh, so the first topic that I want to kind of talk about is preconception health, which is health prior to pregnancies. So the reason that I wanted to talk about preconception health and do a little bit of research on it is because my husband and I are uh, talking about starting a family soon. Uh, granted, it won't be till hopefully after school is finished, but um, it's something that <clears throat> is important to me and is also important to him. But however, when I was younger, I was diagnosed with uh, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, and I am 27, which isn't super old, but you know, by the time I get closer to, I'm going to be closer to my 30s. And I know that um, as you age, uh, your reproductive fertility decreases. So I just basically wanted to touch on that uh, for my own personal um, history. But um, when I went actually into some research, what I found the, mo- found the most interesting was, and how it actually applies to me is, how the sort social norms are changing um, and why this is happening. So a lot of women uh, couples are beginning to uh, just have children at later ages or are choosing in generally not to have children. Um, when I did a little bit of further research, uh, it was pretty consistent across a, a few articles that it seemed that time, energy, financial costs and career building were kind of the main reasons why women were either not deciding not to have children or were having children later in life. And this is something that actually does uh, apply to me because as I just said, like, I don't want to have kids till I'm done school because obviously kids add a lot of, add a lot to your life, but also take a lot of time and energy. And I really want to focus on being able to provide for my family. Um, And that's something else that is different from the past. So I wanted to, as I was doing this, I really was taking a post-colonial lens and actually examining this um, just through history. Like in in the past, we've seen, you know, families were uh, younger, like much younger families. It was social status to have kids and, you know, it brought a lot to the women, but it seems like things are definitely changing now. Um, Another thing with infertility is, I was looking into as well and how there's so much stigma associated with infertility and to childless people and same to IVF therapy. I just thought that was very interesting um, to further learn about and um, going forward, I would like to learn some more about societal ideation and as a nurse, I want to make sure that I'm taking this information and, you know, I'm providing education and being supportive to my patients in the best way that I possibly can. And I want to really work towards removing that stigma around infertility and really promoting um, the other ways of having kids. Or if you just choose you don't want to have kids, well, I want to be able to be, able to be there to support you in those decisions. Um that's really important to me and I want to make sure that everybody feels safe and supported. Um, The next topic that I want to talk about is high-risk pregnancy and this is essentially a pregnancy that has health problems associated with it. Um, So like uh, gestational diabetes, cancer, high blood pressure, Um, if you're using alcohol or illegal drugs, um, a lot 
most of the time, if you're younger than 17 or older than 35, you're also considered a high-risk pregnancy. Um, I wanted to talk about this topic mainly because uh, my best friend, who actually just a week ago had her baby, um, but she was diagnosed with um, just, it's just uh, hypertension. It wasn't, there was no protein, proteinuria. Um, but she in the last four weeks was, uh, asked to bed rest for her baby. And, um, I kind of wanted to do some more information and some more digging on that. And I thought it was just, I thought it was really relatable. The fact that my best friend was going through this situation and, um, I was kind of talking about high risk pregnancy at the same time. So I thought it was interesting. Um, but what I found wild when I was doing my research is that 15% of pregnancies worldwide will be considered high risk, which I find a very large number. Um, and from the research that I was finding, it seems that, um, that number is only going to be increasing. So I was kind of curious why that was. So through further digging, um, I found that, um, uh, what's the conditions that people are having, such as diabetes and cancer and high blood pressure, are actually way more common now in the world than they they were in the past. Um, and because women are having babies later in life, like they might actually be di- uh, diabetic or dealing with some of these issues. So I find that very very interesting and I would I I'm curious to know in the future how we can um continue to educate and promote healthy lifestyles and healthy living and kind of work um to develop these strategies with our patients um also a lot of women um are dealing with the psychological stress associated with their high-risk pregnancy diagnosis, which I also found very interesting in my research. Um, It seems like, which I can understand for sure, is when you're diagnosed with this, um, you you would have feelings of stress. You want to keep your baby safe. There may, I found in a couple articles, they talked that women felt they were a failure as a mother, that they were hurting their babies and um, that you know, some, some deep, their medical interventions, they just keep going and going. And, you know, you go into doctors and a lot of women felt like they had, um, a loss of control over themselves and their bodies. Um, so I wanted to kind of look at this situation through an HP lens and, um, see like how you could work with these mothers to feel like to learn how they're situated what their situation is um do they have support systems do they not have support systems um and then continue to look for support systems for this um i found an interesting article talking about partner support and how um uh, the partner can develop a positive psychological functioning which helps the uh, woman get, have some purpose and back in her life and whether he or she is helping in any way they can to give that woman back some purpose. Um, 
I thought that was very interesting. And I think it's an, a very important topic to take forward um, with me as I'm a, I would really like to end up in uh, labor and delivery nursing or maternal health somewhere. It's something that I've always found I've had like I've had a very high interest in. Um, and I also want to be able, again, it's just the support factor. Like I want to be there to be able to provide that education, um, to be somebody who maybe this person, you know, can talk to. Um, and I want to be able to help to develop further understanding, um, and further just, um, bringing it to light, I guess, essentially that this does happen for people, um, and maybe doing a bit more research on that. Um, the next topic that I'm going to talk about is mental health and adolescence. Um, and specifically, I just want to talk about mental health and university. Um, I know for myself, I've got one university degree under my belt and I'm working on my second one. And um, specifically, I'm going to relate back to my first degree. But I remember when I was younger and going off to school you know, you feel so much pressure. You're you're nervous but excited to move away from home. Um, you kind of got parental pressure from home, making sure that you're still doing school. You know, um, it leads to a lot of anxiety and it leads to um, some not great mental health strategies. But I think it's such an important topic to talk about because we all feel it. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a university student, a child in elementary school, you know, there's always going to be th that mental health. You want to have healthy mental health. So um, when I was talking about mental health and looking into research, I wanted to keep it positive in ways that we could actually combat mental health um, because I relate to this not necessarily from a, a university standpoint, but um, my mom battled cancer for five years while I was in university. So I also had that um, added stress onto me. And I found some ways personally that worked for me to help combat mental health. But I kind of wanted to do some research more into yoga and meditation. So um, what I learned was really interesting. And yoga serves as a holistic practice. So it works it is a all around working to heal you, but it it's associated like it helps people individually and on a unique level um, through the use of physical postures, deep breathing techniques, relaxation. Um, Shavasana is meditation at the end of a yoga class. All of those help to help the individual personally with their own experiences. They might not be talking to anybody. They might not be doing anything else, but it's a way to create further connections in the brain. Additionally, the yoga community, um, from my research, I found that, and from my own personal experience, you develop incredible social connections and positive values from that. And people really, um, seem to get along and really enjoy time together and really cheer each other on, which I feel like is something we definitely need in this world. Um, additionally, same with meditation, like talking about meditation, the health and well-being provokes positive emotions, which is so good when we need. Um, we need somebody to be a cheerleader and we also need to be cheerleaders for ourselves. 
So another study showed that increasing meditation and actually making it in use in universities um, had an increased positive mental health score and a decreased anxiety score. And that's just not including happiness. That's just literally mental health and anxiety, which I think is incredible. But I also want to just touch really quickly on the power analysis, using a power analysis to to look at this, because I know from my time in my first um, degree, now it's different now in nursing, I feel much, the professors are much more approachable. However, like, when in my first degree, the student professor relationship was completely unreachable. Like, there wouldn't really be a reason why I could email my professor and feel comfortable doing so. Um, and they were almost treated like celebrities. Like if you saw them on campus, you were like, oh my goodness, like there's, you know, professor so-and-so. Um, but what really was, what felt not good was the fact that they had complete control over my grade, but I couldn't reach it. Like I didn't feel that I could reach out to them to kind of talk about things, which I think is something we need to work on. Um, uh, which again, like mental health kind of going back to everything, you want to look through it at it through a post-structural lens and how the use of language and uh, creating a more positive experience surrounding mental health um, can be beneficial to a lot of people. And going forward, um, I want to take my experiences and things that I've learned and be able to implement it. And so if, for instance, if I ended up working in maybe a school or at a university as a nurse, um, I would implement yoga or try to get the school to um, start meditations and start um, things like that young, like if in elementary school or whatever, um, starting that and getting those techniques just into schools, I think would be beneficial to a lot of children. Um, the next topic I'm going to talk about um, is the LGBTQ plus community, and I wanted to specifically focus on their access to care. So the LGBTQ population is a unique health group um, that may not be considered by many primary care health facilities. So in my own personal life, I think this is really interesting because I have a couple friends who are bisexual, and um, I really want to learn as much as I can from them and just in general from um, experience and research. I really want to be an ally for that community. Um, I want them to feel safe when they come to see me as a nurse. I don't want them to fear, have any fear or just feel like they might be discriminated. I don't want that. I want to be as inclusive and helpful as I possibly can to them. So just doing some research, it was shocking to find, you know, how many, um, how the LGBTQ community have such a higher rate of disease and infection than in other communities. Um, and the fact that a third to a half of the LGBTQ plus community has at least one poor experience with healthcare. Nobody, like everybody has poor experiences, but it's kind of no excuse. Like we should be as inclusive and be able to provide care as best as we possibly can. And we need to get rid of the stigma and discrimination um, we also need to promote positive health care and we need to continue to really develop our cultural competency. Again, our post-structural lens would be really important to look through as we really need to learn how our language um, shapes the situation. Um, we want to work on personal pronouns. We want to work 
on the culture of the community. We want to learn, we want to be educated, and we want to provide the best care that we possibly can. And again, going forward, it's just that I want to continue to learn and I want to be a little bit more invested in the community and learn to be an ally and support them in the ways that I can um, as a nurse. And then the final section of this that I wanted to quickly talk about is patient and family care. Um, and patient and family care is obviously going to be very different to every family. Um, family means something different to each individual. So for myself, I just draw from my experience with my mom having cancer and all of the hospital appointments that we went to and doctor's appointments and all the people we've come into contact with over the years. And um, I've had some really good experiences, but I've had some very poor experiences. Um, I had one doctor that to this day, I like, I don't even like talking about her because of the care that she provided and how um, she just didn't seem to care at all. Like there was no care there. And um, I just have a really hard time talking about her, but she will be with me, you know, like taking this forward. Like I've seen how people can talk and how people can be unkind um, in situations where, you know, it's a life-changing situation. So um, again, in my research, I've, I found a lot of kind of mixed information in terms of patient-centered care and what that means to the each hospital and what policy means around that. And I think that that is something that for me, again, because it's such a personal connection, I really want to continue to develop my understanding around it. And I want to be able to make sure each individual that I come into contact with feels like a person and feels involved in their care. Um, and, and if they want their families involved, if that's something that is important to that person, then their family needs to be involved in that care as well. And whether that means, um, explaining, you know, talking in layman's terms, obviously that's very important. Um, and for just providing this information in the most, um, patient-centered way we possibly can. Um, again, this would be a, a really good topic to be viewed through the post-structural uh, lens just because, again, like language and body language is something that like both are so important and body language is almost more important than verbal language just because you can see on somebody when they walk into the room if they're they haven't even said anything to you and you might already feel like oh this person doesn't care about me so you know I'm just gonna kind of do whatever so I really want to work on that like I really want to work on being there for people and being as positive and um, just focusing on the patient outside of their unique disease to them or their situation I just want to be able to be there and be supportive and um, continue to develop my skills and help others develop their skills as well, as I think it is, it's truly a very important topic to talk about. Um, so that is the end of my podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope uh, you enjoyed it. And yeah, thanks.